I want to talk this morning to all of us about our expectations for this coming year. Traditionally, the start of school is a time that we think about a new beginning. And I want you just to think about the word expectancy. What is it that you expect God to do in your life in this year, whether you're starting school or you're not starting school? And my prayer would be for all of us, individually and collectively as a church, that we would expect great things from God that He would do in our lives in this coming year. That we would not just get into this pattern of the same-o, same-o and have no sense of expectancy of what God wants to do. I'm wondering this morning what your dream was as a child. What was it that you as a little child in your imagination and the world in front of you, you dreamed someday I'm going to grow up and be... I don't know what that is. I don't know about little girls, maybe a princess or I don't know. Hannah has something, but I'm not going to ask her because she's smiling at me. She's thinking, you know, I think my first, I wanted to be an astronaut because that was like the Christmas of 69 when I got the little space helmet that had the little microphone that distorted my voice as I spoke. It sounded like one of the astronauts. But as I got a little bit older, as the years pressed on, my dream was to play in the NBA. I thought there'd be Snickers about this time, but anyhow, that's fine. That was my dream. I wanted to play in the NBA. And actually about a year later that it kind of morphed because I went to see the Harlem Globetrotters. And my dream changed. I'm thinking, why would you play in the NBA when you could be a Harlem Globetrotter and you could entertain and play basketball? My little heart was crushed the day my mother told me. Son, you're white. (laughs) I don't know if you can, I can even relate the sense of the air going out of the balloon of my little heart and my dream that the Harlem Globetrotters did not accept white basketball players. It was crushing. You know, obviously, as I got older, And I think there's something, I think there's something about us and made in the image of God and when we're small children that God will give us this sense of imagination. Have you ever watched little kids and just let them play by themselves? They will create little friends and scenarios and they'll be in different places and their imagination will be at work. I believe that's a part of that image of God that was put in us. And I think this sense of potential and optimism and I can be anything. I mean, if Daryl Smith dreamed of playing in the NBA, I mean, any child can dream of anything. You know what I'm saying? And I think it's something about how God made us. And I think it's something actually very God. Because it speaks to the potential of what God could do in our lives as we expected great things from Him. Of course, as I got older and I was saved, 
at 17 years of age, God said, I have something much more important to you than traveling the world dribbling a basketball. And it's about making an eternal difference in people's lives. Hmm. I wanted to share with you, hopefully in the next 15 minutes, the story of a young man that God used to change the world. The man lived over 200 years ago. His name was William Carey. I think his dates are, he was born 1731 in England. Uh, William Carey came from a very common family. He had very little education and was actually sickly as a child. And when they really wanted him to be able to work in the fields and do manual labor, he really just wasn't able to. And so at 14 years of age, William Carey was taken by his parents to a man who was a cobbler, which is a term that means he made shoes. He was a shoemaker, a cobbler. And William Carey, as a 14-year-old man, was sent to another town to be an apprentice for the local cobbler. There was something in William Carey's life, even as a small child, that he had this great sense of imagination and wonder. And he was fascinated by the world. This is even before he was saved, understand. He was fascinated by other places in the world. There was another apprentice uh, that worked for the same cobbler that William Carey did. And this apprentice was a Christian. He was not only a Christian, in those days he was called a dissenter. That means he was not a part of the Church of England. He had He was a part of a group that dissented from the Church of England and so they were a little bit different. And even though William Carey had been raised in more of an Anglican Church of England home, this young man about his age was a dissenter. His friend began in time to share the gospel with him day after day as they worked together. William Carey wasn't saved immediately. In fact, it was only until he was 17 that William Carey was saved. And God did a work in William Carey's life. And um, several years later, uh, as he studied the Scripture, he was baptized and became a part of uh, us as Baptists. He became a Baptist. You understand there's a difference between, between being a Christian and a Baptist. Anyhow, we don't have time for that sermon this morning. He became a part of of a Baptist church in that part of England. In fact, he began, even as he taught himself God's Word, he began to be a lay preacher. And eventually, as he got into his 20s, he was called to be a pastor of his first church, but it was a bivocational or tri vocational kind of work. He was a pastor of a church. He was a school teacher. And he was also a cobbler. And in his 20s, as William Carey taught himself the Scriptures, taught himself Hebrew and Greek and theology, because 
He'd only been to school, like through the fifth grade. Um, God began to take that dream as a small child about a fascination with the world to begin to think about what is it that God wants to do in our world. William Carey was so fascinated by this that above his bench that he made shoes at, he made a home-style map out of leather, which the shoes were made out of, and some brown paper. And he drew his own rendition of the world. It wasn't just the continents and the countries, but it also included information. And he would study about these countries and their populations and their religions and all of these things. All in the midst of this, God was putting the world on William Carey's heart. Oh, the pivotal events. William Carey is 30 years of age. 1791. He's in a group of ministers. And you have to understand that if I... If, if you knew Baptist history and you knew the people that were a part of this part of England, when in fact John Newton that wrote Amazing Grace, he was from this area. Uh, you wouldn't necessarily know William Copper, but he was the hymn writer who wrote, There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins and in that blood. Yeah, William Copper was from this area and other greats of the Baptist faith that you'd have to study Baptist history to know. But in a group of ministers in 1791, one of the ministers said they were taking uh, uh, suggestions on what theological topic they could discuss. The young 30-year-old tri-vocational pastor suggested that they study whether Jesus' commission to take the gospel into all the world was obligatory, was was a part that we were to be obedient to. Should we take the gospel into all the world? Classic moment in Baptist life. One of the old ministers, maybe even older than me, I'm talking about old steeped in his Calvinism, it's quoted, said to the young 30-year-old minister, young man, sit down. When God wants to save the heathen, He will do it without your help. Boom. Oh, the air wasn't lit out of his balloon. The next year in 1792, uh, the young William Carey, 30 years of age, maybe 31 by now, he writes a pamphlet, which was so typical of the day, about missions. He had studied and he wrote it and he sent it out for publication. Oh, and it was called an inquiry. This is the title. I have to look at it. I'm sorry. I typed it in my notes for this time. An inquiry into the obligation of Christians to the use of means for the conversion of the heathen. 
I know it's strange to us, but there was no missions in those days. Actually, this pamphlet is the most famous writing on missions in all of Christian history, I guess, other than the Bible. William Carey's pamphlet, An Inquiry into the Obligation of Christians to the Use of Means for the Conversion of the Heathen. Should we use whatever methods, means we have to in order to take the gospel into all the world? And then the fateful day in May 30th, 1792, May 30th, 1792, the Northamptonshire Baptist Association gathered. It was a Wednesday morning, actually, and William Carey was asked to preach. The 31-year-old trivocational <laughs> pastor from one of the little towns in that part of England. And he preached a sermon that changed the world. His text was in, interestingly enough, and actually this is what drew me to this, drew me to this, Isaiah 54. Oh, you just thought we had left. We're back. Isaiah 54, verses 2 and 3. The prophecy said, Enlarge the place of your tent and let them stretch out the curtains of your dwelling. Do not spare, lengthen your cords and strengthen your stakes. For you shall expand to the right and to the left and your descendants will inherit the nations and make the desolate cities inhabited. The imagery, the metaphor in Isaiah 54 is of a woman who is childless. And the prophecy was, and really it was about later times, and when God is finished with His work of redemption that we've been talking about all this summer, the prophecy is to the woman who has no child, expand your tent. Expect God to bless you in such a way that you're going to have to bust out the walls of your home and make more room for more children that are coming when she had no children. William Carey used this as a challenge to those Baptists to say we need to expect God to do a great thing and we need to plan now for what God wants to do. Two points that were recorded by those who were there. William Carey, these were his two points. Expect great things from God. Attempt great things for God. The challenge was that they would do something to take the gospel into all the world. And the young 30-year-old pastor had poured his heart into that sermon. And when he got to the end, you're not going to believe what happened. Everyone got up and started to walk out. And William Carey turns to one of the older ministers who was sympathetic to him one of the greats of the Baptist faith would become Andrew Fuller. And he said, Sir, will we again do nothing? And Andrew Fuller encouraged those who were leaving to come back. And history turns. And modern missions 
began in the Northamptonshire Baptist Association, May 30th of 1792, as a society, a missionary society was formed. And they began to collect money. You're not going to believe this. They sent out their first missionary the next year, 1793. 32-year-old pastor from their association by the name of William Carey. And he went to what is now modern India. His wife, William Carey, his wife and three small children left on a boat from England. Five months later, they landed in India. And in the early years, it was extreme poverty and suffering. In fact, one of their children died. It sent his wife into a depression. And basically she was bedridden for a number of years until she also died in India. William Carey never returned home. For 41 years he preached the gospel to the people of India. And schools were formed And the Bible was translated into some 30 dialects in that part of the world. Churches were formed. Obviously people were saved and ministers were called. And William Carey died and was buried in modern India. Having given his life. And it's not just for us as Baptists. But for all Christians, when you study Christian history, William Carey is known as the father of modern missions. Because William Carey expected great things from God. And he attempted great things for God. A dream as a young man. That he fleshed out. And I, to read the stories. No, there were horrible days. For William Carey. It all sounds glorious now. But it wasn't. For most of those years. I think it was seven years before the first person. Trusted Christ as their savior. What I realize today and what I want to challenge you with as we start a new school year is that we will live out our expectations of what we expect. I want to challenge you as we start a a new school year that you start this school year with a sense of expectancy that you would get on your face before God and say, God, what is it that you want to do? Because somehow... The older we get and the longer we go, we lose that sense of wonderment, imagination of a dream and the possibility and potential of what God, not just what we can do, but what God can do. And I would say, what is your expectation? Would you get on your face before God as we start this year and say, God, what is it that you want to do? What, are the, what do you want to do in my life? And I think we have to apply this individually. Where is it that I need to grow? In my own personal study of the Bible and in prayer and the gathering with God's people. 
And God, what is your calling? What is it that you, you have for me to do here on this earth? Where do I need to grow? What is my impact? How can I witness? How can I be used, God, for you to change other lives? What is it that God would speak into your heart today to say, no, this is, this is what it's about. This, this is what this year is about. But I think there's something br- bigger than that, even. And I don't want to dismiss that, and I want you to understand, we want, I want you to apply this personally, but we also have to apply this corporately as a church to say, what is it that God wants to do in our midst? As we individually seek the face of God to say, God, what is it that you want... You see, if God, if God is going to work in your life, we have to expect great things. And if we don't expect great things, we're never going to attempt great things. We will live out our expectations. And the same will be true for us as a church. I love that this Sunday we have dedicated our children's area. Because children and youth are more... <laughs> tied to that sense of imagination and wonder and potential and possibility of what God can do than any of the rest of us. And I believe it is our job, responsibility as a church to tap into that sense of potential And to inspire and unleash the potential of our children and our youth. That this year, we would expect God to do a great work in changing lives. Who is it that's going to be in this this Sunday next year in our midst, that in the midst of this year, God's life changed? For some of you, he's, he's going to call you this year <laughs> to touch someone else's life, to draw them in, for the gospel to change their life. There ought to be children, there ought to be youth that are reached and parents of those that we reached and homes are changed and marriages are restored. And lives are changed. It is only when we expect God to do great things that then we will attempt great things. Things. And my challenge to you is individually and as a church, let's expect God to do a great work. Let's enter this year with a sense of expectancy. But then let's put feet and hands to that. To work like William Carey worked. To bring about the harvest that God wants to bring. Amen. Amen. And so my challenge to you, and I'm going to ask Brother Shane to come and our music team. My challenge this Sunday and this time is that you would put your face before God 
And you would say, God, what is it that you have for me? And God, you realize that time is a gift from God and there's an opportunity that we have in the next year. And the question is, God, how do you want to use that? And God, I don't want to just spend another year. God, I want to use this for your glory. That I, that because I expected you, God, to change lives, that you will change lives through a humble servant like me. And so if you would stand this morning and make that your prayer. Great.